What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Wastelanders. Vault dwellers. Super mutants. Whoever you are out in the wasteland, tuning in on whatever device you're using, today I'm going to take you on a journey of discovery into the reproductive processes of FEV mutants. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're talking about, well, not so much, you know, but, you know, can they? How does this actually work? Super mutants can't reproduce, right? So what about all the other creatures? I think this is a very interesting topic because it's not something that is directly referenced anywhere in the lore in a uh, concise and uh, everything in, kind of put in front of you in one place kind of manner. This is something that takes a little bit of digging. And I was inspired to discuss this by a post on Reddit. This post comes from laser underscore three four days ago on Reddit. It's called a write up on FEV mutants and their ability to reproduce. And I read through this and it's very, it's very extensive. We're going to pull out pieces of this. We're going to tackle what is put here. I will respond to some of that and then we're going to expand on it. And I think you might find this very interesting because this is, this is one of those details in the lore that uh, let's go back to the way these games have been written and constructed over time. The series itself is 25 years old at this point. Fallout 1 came out 25 years ago. The people writing Fallout 1 were working on this game in their homes as a kind of a side project. You guys know the story. And therefore, the way that the story came about and the way it was written was uh, as kind of a side project. It wasn't something that they were going to some sort of source material. This wasn't a Game of Thrones or The Witcher where you go, okay, this is what the books say. And so therefore this is what we're going to put in the game. This is a series that was created by these individuals and everything was made up in that first game for that first game over a relatively short period of time. And then that was expanded upon just a, a year or two later as they begin working on Fallout 2. And they realized by that point that the series was fairly successful. And so they were taking the information that was put into one and they expanded it out with the events of the Enclave, with the super mutants, with the FEV virus taking even more prominence in the way that individuals were doing things in the wasteland in order to experiment and all of that stuff. And then the series never quite got a Fallout 3 until it was purchased by Bethesda. And this was 
a number of years later, almost a decade after the first project, Bethesda releases Fallout 3. And then they move the series into a different location. So you have the jump from the West Coast and the use of the FEV virus to create super mutants and other creatures on the West Coast. And now they have to explain how is this going to work on the East Coast as well. So the virus and the use of it and even the details of the virus change as you move from one location to another. And then that gets expanded upon in Fallout 4 with the Institute and the use of actually using the virus in order to develop these biological synths. Did you guys realize that? That's that's another detail. And working, we can go into some of these specifics in potentially a future episode. I'm thinking what I'm going to tackle in this one is just the reproduction side of it. And then we'll get into some more of the ways that these things have broken out over time, because there's a lot more there that I just haven't covered on previous episodes of the show. Then you have Fallout New Vegas and the expanding a little bit of the way the FEV was used with things like centaurs and creatures like that. And then you have Fallout 76 and the need to explain why are there super mutants in Appalachia just a few decades after the bombs dropped. And it has to do with West Tech and the location of West Tech being in Appalachia and a strain of FEV there that was working on the creatures nearby, including super mutants, but even dogs and some other things, uh, snallygasters, some other experiments that were being done. So FEV is something that has been used across the country from West Coast to East Coast in different locations in order to create different kinds of super mutants and lots of different kinds of creatures. But the question still remains, with the super mutants, we understand that in every single instance of super mutants that we've seen, they lack the ability for sexual reproduction. They cannot create children. In some locations, they're actively seeking to find humans to dump in the vats in order to try to create more super mutants, because that's the only way they can possibly do it. Physically, we know that they are changed in a way where they no longer have any sexual defining characteristics. They don't look male or female. I mean, they look very muscular, so there's an overly more masculine appearance to the body shape. But when you go down there, they're like a Ken doll. There's really nothing going on down there. They don't have the ability to sexually reproduce. But that doesn't mean that that's necessarily how all the other creatures who become mutant variations on what they started as due to the FEV virus suffer the same fate. So let's look into this a little bit. Let's start digging into this post by laser underscore three. It starts out and says, I'm mainly posting this to make sure I have the story straight regarding FEV and how it interacts with reproduction. The first bit I want to say is that the Zacks in the glow, the former West Tech headquarters, postulates that FEV causes haploid gamete cells. So these are sperms and eggs, sperm and egg cells to be repaired into and repaired is in quotes. So basically changed, edited into diploid cells, thus disabling meiosis and sexual reproduction. Okay, there's a lot of sciencey terms here. You probably don't remember from biology class. Basically, what it's saying is that the the virus itself, 
according to the Zach's mainframe and the information that we get from Fallout 1 and Fallout 2, has told us that the virus itself changes sperm and eggs into cells that no longer duplicate. They, they no longer pair up and replicate. They can't be paired together. They can't be created. You can't take half of uh, something's genes and half of something else's genes, put them together, get a baby, and then it grows. It, it doesn't work that way anymore. However, it goes on. This would have no effect on asexual reproduction, such as what occurs in creatures such as flatworms and ringworms. So again, biology class, asexual reproduction is the ability to use your own genes and your own cells in order to pair them up into what becomes a new creature. So this idea that you don't need a partner to procreate, you don't need in order to, first of all, you don't have to have sex, you don't have to touch anybody else, you can just use your own cells to create another creature. And this isn't just something that happens in, for example, flatworms and ringworms, very, very base level creatures. This is something that we have seen occur in creatures as complex as lizards. There have been instances of different kinds of lizards, either ones that are by design always reproducing asexually, and there are there is a specific type of lizard that that can do this. And when you're thinking about lizards, let's talk about the genetic and the evolutionary advancement that creatures had to get to, to by the time you get to lizards. Something like a flatworm or a ringworm is a very simple creature. It's very early on the evolutionary spectrum, on the evolutionary tree. By the time you get to fish, now you have backbones and a more complex nervous system. Then you get to things like amphibians, even more complex. Then you get to lizards. Lizards, significantly more complex, have only been around for a very short period of time compared to things like worms. So put that into perspective. So it goes on, it says, starting with the most common FEV mutant, the super mutant, we know they are incapable of sexual reproduction under any circumstance, with the line from Marcus being a joke. There was a joke about getting it on or whatever that Marcus says. We also know that at least the Vault 87 strain, this is the one over in the New England strain, causes the reduction of sexual characteristics, which may or may not be present in other FEV strains. This is the only one where it actually talks about it. But if you actually look at the super mutants across everybody, they have a visual sim visually similar appearance. So uh, basically reduction, no sexual organs being visible, reduction in hair, things like that, that are typically tied to the sexual maturation of a, of a creature. So we can assume that those things are similar enough across all of them. Then it goes on. Next is centaurs, which again do not appear to be able to reproduce and are generated from humans and or human animal mixed batches. They are absolutely ridiculous looking. They are a mess of body parts. And for the most part, we can probably assume that being that they come from humans, at least in some regard, and the things that we know the FEV does to humans that centaurs probably don't sexually reproduce either. The centaurs that you see in New Vegas are the only centaurs that there are. And unless somebody dips another human in that same overly tweaked type of FEV that was used on them, then we're not getting any more centaurs. 
So what about floaters? Floaters, again, from the West Coast, the origins in the original games. According to a terminal and holotape, or holotape in, in the glow, these were originally flatworms and were capable of reproducing asexually. Interesting. But sexual reproduction was never noticed. The same likely goes for the floaters of Appalachia, considering we know nothing except super mutants treat them as pets, and that the two groups are commonly found with each other. This, they're a callback to the other floaters. It would make sense that they have similar origins. The vats of FEV at West Tech were very similar in nature to the ones found over on the West Coast. So chances are very similar. So put a pin in that one. Maybe floaters can still reproduce asexually. Okay, hold on to that. Let's move on. Going in game order, the next would be the albino mole rats of Fallout 2. As far as we know, both of these former lab rats are male and thus incapable of reproducing based on there only being two of these lab rats and no signs of asexual reproduction being possible. So whether th these rats that were used as the mole rat originators in this scenario in Fallout 2 are able of sexual reproduction or not is not going to be known. They're both male. We can't even test that. So we have to move on. Next point. Wanamingos are only FEV mutants according to the Fallout Bible. Nothing in game for Fallout 2 indicates FEV was involved in their creation. So we really don't know if they are or not. According to the Fallout Bible, this is non-game source, and I like what Laser is doing here in saying that if it's in the game, then we can define it as canon. If it's not, then we don't really know for sure. And I absolutely still ascribe to that. I've mentioned that before. And it may be the case here, or it may not. That's up in the air until we get confirmation in a game. We don't know for sure. It goes on, it says, their reproductive cycle isn't very clear, but they lay eggs. So I went, so I want to tentatively say that they are capable of sexual reproduction and thus likely not FEV mutants. So again, let's put this all to the side. I don't know that this really tells us much in one way or another. So let's leave that. The last FEV mutant for Fallout 2 is the Death Claw. If the Fallout 2 strategy guide is to be believed, and again, a non in-game canon source, and the master modified death clause with FEV, something we have no in-game source for, never comes up in any other non-game source and isn't even directly stated. Interesting. To me, this makes this claim sketchy at best and also is unlikely to matter for 76, 3, and 4, since the death clause of these games are on the wrong coast. <laughs> so so he's separating the death claws that occur in Fallout 2 on the West Coast with the East Coast death claws. And they're far enough away from each other that and there's no evidence that the Enclave messed with the ones on the East Coast. So the only ones that we know have FEV influence are on the West Coast. Okay, sure. Let's let's just move on from there. Again, lack of information, so there's it's hard to know. So we just have to kind of put that to the side. However, the talking death claws are not so clear cut. Yes, talking death claws. I've talked about this before. They appear in the games like this is a legit thing. It is canon. Goris directly says he overheard the Enclave scientists discussing that they had been injected with FEV. Though curiously, the lead scientist of the project never brings this up, either implying an oversight in his dialogue or that Goris is incorrect. Chances are, if he doesn't bring it up in my mind, then that's not a proof of anything. 
a lack of evidence is not evidence. So it just may, maybe didn't come up in the game. So it doesn't mean that that's uh, any weight of countering that argument. Maybe Goris is incorrect. Maybe he's misstating things, but why would you put that in the game then unless you were trying to do some sort of narrative reason for him being unreliable or something, which I don't think is the case. So this cannot be waived. The major problem, however, is that the talking death claws are the only FEV mutants shown to directly reproduce. There's hatchlings and eggs down with the den mother, and from the dialogue, I have to assume these hatchlings were born in Vault 13 from some of the eggs, unless these deathclaws managed to evolve parthenogenesis from their FEV exposure. Parthos, parthenogenesis is asexual reproduction occurring where the species is all female and needs no males in the form that is common in reptiles. This is a thing. This is a thing that can occur in reptiles. Death claws having a reptile origin, this would make sense. However, there are other forms that allow for both sexual and asexual reproduction, but this is even more unlikely considering no vertebrate is known to possess this. Let's put a pin in that. Or, I've overlooked something important, they've somehow managed to become the only exceptions to FEV's prevention of sexual reproduction. So, interesting point here. Talking death claws. These are the the death claws from Fallout 2. The only only the ones that talk, the ones that are in Vault 13, obviously have eggs. Obviously, there's proof directly that, according to Goris, that they were created through experiments with the FEV. I know you're probably yelling, but there's other death claw nests. You can find eggs all over the place. We have to remember that the death claws were designed pre-FEV. So the majority of other death claws out there, we don't have evidence that they've been tampered with at all by the FEV. It's only this specific group of talking death claws. Now, this could be asexual, like like we've talked about. This could be parthenogenesis. This could be a situation where because there aren't any males in the vicinity, the creature itself goes through a biological change where all of a sudden it can reproduce asexually. And this is something that has been documented in reptiles. All right, I'm going to let you stew on this and we're going to go into the mid break. We're going to thank our patrons and we will continue with more. So don't go anywhere. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, anniversary diamond orb, gear, a bunch of other items. It is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out. Click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, MAXPOOL. Don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. Hope you guys are enjoying the look into uh, how this stuff works, the biology of the FEV creatures. This is the part of the show where I get to thank our patrons. Big shout outs to our newest patrons, Taylor A, Nicholas F, and Christina D. Thank you so much to each of you. Welcome to the Patreon. Hope you guys are enjoying your ad-free episodes and all the other stuff you're getting. Also, this is the part of the show where I get to shout out our Tier 5 Sentry Bot, Dylan R. Thank you for your support. You are awesome. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all 60 of our current Patreon patrons. Patreon? Patron, we'll just call it patrons. Some people do say patrons, and I, that's weird to me. And then I just made that mistake. Page, I just call it patrons because that's what it says on Patreon. It's like on that page at the top. It says patron, patrons, patrons. And we'll just say patrons from now on. Also, we have a brand new review on Apple Podcasts. This one comes from TV Head Guy in the U.S. who writes: Fallout Lorecast is a great podcast, and Robots has created a fantastic community Discord. I started listening to the Fallout Lorecast late in 2019 on Audible to get inspiration for a Fallout tabletop RPG. Though the group disbanded, I still found myself hooked listening to the lore while I work. Robots has created a great community on his Discord full of like-minded people telling stories of childhood Fallout stories and new fans getting into Fallout 76. The community has a place for everyone. Keep up the good work and can't, can't wait for year five. Thank you so much, TV head guy. If you would like to help out this show, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts is always, always helpful. And I will read out your five-star reviews on a future episode of the show. Also, you can leave a rating on Spotify. Go to Spotify. If you listen to that, scroll to the top and hit five stars on there. That helps a lot as well. So thank you to everybody for your support. Welcome to the new patrons. Let's continue with this, this look into reproduction. Here we go. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. All right. On to the modern games. That's what it actually says here. Moving to into the modern games. And thank you again, Laser, for this post. This is really interesting. And we're going to we're going to get through the rest of this pretty quickly. And then we're going to get into more details. So Fallout 3, according to this, only introduces a single new FEV variant or mutant, the Fire Ant. Their queen is capable of reproduction. But unlike the Death Claws, this makes some level of sense due to how ant queens work. They are capable of a type of parthenogenesis that allows for unfertilized eggs to hatch into sterile females. Since these eggs must become diploid, I think we can assume that this is the only method the fire ant queen can use to create more ants. This totally makes sense. This works absolutely within the confines of what we understand the FEV does to those cells. It still means that ants can reproduce. Ants are very, very early on the evolutionary spectrum because they're insects. So all of this makes sense. It goes on and says, and would make sense for Lasko to use as this prevents his testing from spreading beyond his relatively controlled environment before he's ready. To my knowledge, he never states how he plans to spread his successful strain around the wasteland or the exact method by which the queen reproduces, only mentioning that it lays eggs. So all of that works for ants. Moving on, 
Behemoths are also introduced in Fallout 3, but these are just supermutants that either didn't stop growing, 3's explanation, had their FEV destabilized, 4's explanation with Swan, possibly by radiation, or had a critical issue in how the FEV was set up to mutate 76's Dr. Blackburn. All of that totally makes sense. It doesn't mean that they've changed anything about how those types of supermutants can reproduce. Moving on to Fallout New Vegas, they write, Fallout New Vegas adds a wrinkle to fire ants by having an unexplained group present in the Mojave. I don't know if these evolved independently without FEV or they were somehow exposed, but they're present and don't have a queen to my knowledge. We don't get enough details here to even make assumptions about what's going on here. Maybe there was FEV exposure. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe they reproduce naturally. Maybe they don't. They just show up. It's one of those things where most likely the designers of the game were like, well, here's a game asset. Here's a creature that makes sense in the desert. Let's put it in, right? So chances are if you were to go back and actually add in information into a game somewhere, it would be, well, ants reproduce. Somehow over time they created strains of ants that made their way across the country or something like that from the mutated ones on the East Coast, potentially. There's lots of ants across the country. Who knows, right? Moving on to Fallout 4, they write, Fallout 4, in a first for the modern games, adds more than one new FEV mutant. The first is the Generation 3 synth, which is implied to have been the goal of the Institute's FEV program originally. A terminal states that the Organics program was a spinoff from the FEV lab. Yes, this is true. The synths, the Gen 3 synths, have a diversity of genetic qualities, even though all of them are originally designed from Sean's DNA, they all don't look like Sean because they were able to manipulate the FEV virus in order to create genetic diversity in the synths. So yes, they're in, this is one of those things I don't think I've talked about on a previous episode before either. The Institute synths and FEV are connected. It goes on. Considering Deacon's line about Barbara implying synths cannot reproduce and the Institute building them manually, it can be assumed that they do not reproduce. And even if they could, synths are indistinguishable from normal humans, aside from a few minor characteristics, such as needing less sleep and extremely good health. So their offspring would be just a human without the synth component. So their point here is chances are the non-ability of synths to reproduce as stated in the games by some of the characters, so unless those characters are just wrong or ignorant about this, is probably the truth, makes sense with the fact that FEV was used in order to create diversity. Now, what's interesting about this is that the FEV in this situation does not remove some of the sexual traits, sexual features necessarily on the individuals, reproductive body parts, hair, any of that stuff. That stuff is still intact, but that doesn't mean that it didn't still affect eggs and sperm in the way that they develop and the way that they would work. So even though they more visually appear human than something like a super mutant, they don't necessarily still have the actual ability to reproduce. So that makes sense. And to Laser's point here, if they did, we still wouldn't know. It would just look like a human. So there you go. It goes on. 
and says the other mutant introduced in four was the mutant hound, which it does nothing to explain. Why did the Institute even test on dogs in the first place? Well, I can answer that. Chances are they were starting with a type of creature that wasn't as human as a human because testing on humans would be more difficult, especially when they have only one Sean and they don't want to mess him up. So you'd want to test on other creatures. We do this in science all the time. So choosing dogs instead of humans, they're both biologically similar in enough ways that maybe that makes sense. So anyway, that paragraph goes on for a while, talks about the different dogs showing up in some of the different games and how some of that makes sense. Mutant hounds showing up and all of that. But we can we can just basically chalk that up to, yeah, there was some testing on dogs also, or dogs got exposed in some way. We don't really understand how they reproduce because we don't have any actual signs of that either. So that's basically all we can say about them. Let's move on to 76. We're getting close to the end here of the post. It says, we have two final FEV mutants to go over, the Snallygaster and the Grafton Monster. And we have we definitely have info from both of them. We've talked about this before as well. Both of these are custom strains of FEV tested on humans created by the West Tech scientists. Yes, very specific strains that were changed in order to test and see what they would do on humans. It goes on. And both escaped the Grafton when the bombs dropped and the Snallygaster about a year later from the facility itself. However, considering the Appalachian uh, Enclave experimented with FEV in their bid to trigger DEFCON 1, it's likely that they are responsible for for producing additional Snallygasters and Grafton monsters we see in-game, and not that they are capable of reproducing as the wiki assumes. So, I think this also makes sense because we know the FEV, unless this strain was significantly different from the core one, would make it impossible for these creatures to reproduce. These creatures came from humans, just like super mutants, just like anybody else we've talked about. And so chances are there's something else going on there. More of them got out or the Enclave has something to do with it. It seems a little bit more reasonable than, oh, yeah, they can they can reproduce. I take a look at take a look at a snally caster and a grafton monster don't think that's happening so that's that's the gist of it i mean that's most of it actually now let's address some things here um dark shadow responds to the post and actually brings up a good point deacon didn't say they couldn't have kids just that he and his wife were trying for a kid she got lynched before anything could be made we aren't told for how long they had been trying All we know is he'd started to try and grow a sprout a week before she died and they'd been trying for months. So this doesn't give us a definitive can since reproduce or not thing. Um, Dark Shadow's other point here is Dima, however, says that no more synths can be made if you tell him you blew up the Institute. This may hint to that they can't otherwise have sexual reproduction, that they have to be manufactured. And... That also makes sense, even if they, like we discussed before, were able to pair up with a human and have a child, that he, that child wouldn't have the synth parts in it. It would just look like a human. So what are we left here with? We're left here with this concept that, for the most part, creatures that are of a certain complexity, mammals, humans, Anything that is beyond the complexity of a lizard, chances are, cannot reproduce at all. We don't, we don't have a fundamental ability of parthenogenesis unless that was somehow mutated into our, our biology. We wouldn't be able to do that. Dogs wouldn't be able to do that. 
anything that was above the complexity of a creature that somehow might also already have that feature in it, a worm, a lizard. So in the case of the intelligent death claws, it makes sense. They might have the ability to reproduce asexually through parthenogenesis. The eggs that are laid by a queen ant, some of those eggs don't have to be sexually created. They're basically duplicates of a female ant that can go and just work and do its thing. And there's no sexual process there. So it's some of these creatures, it makes sense. Then you have this middle ground area where it's, it's like, uh, we just, we really don't, don't know. We don't, we just don't have enough evidence. It would make sense that if the FEV works the same way across all mammals, that other kinds of creatures just can't or other variations that were created by manipulating human DNA just can't. So things like, I guess you could talk about rad scorpions. We just don't know. Probably not, but they are insects. So maybe there's asexual reproduction. Mole rats are mammals and they don't get brought up in the lore in a very decisive way as to why they are who they are, what actually happened to them. There's assumption that there must have been some sort of FEV exposure, but why are they so prolific? Why are there so many? Are they able to reproduce or not on their own? I would assume yes. So maybe their evolution and their their changes aren't FEV specific and they're more just radiation affecting their genes. That could be a, a part of it as well. Again, this is beyond the scope of what we fully understand or what is specifically laid out. So we just have to say we don't know. We don't know for sure. If you're actually curious about real world, like how this works, parthenogenesis and actual animals, there are two instances in the UK of Komodo dragons actually doing this. The lack of males in the environment made it possible for the females to just lay eggs that grew into other Komodo dragons all on their own. There's also documented instances of this happening with birds as well, but we don't have good examples of birds in Fallout. We don't have mutated birds. Do we not have any mutated birds? FEV mutated birds? I don't think so. If we do, let me know. Write, write me or like join the Discord, send a note on Discord, join me during one of the live streams and just say, hey, here's an example of a bird. And I'll be like, oh my God, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> but thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for our, our digging into this. I think that, I, I guess in my conclusion here, laser underscore three, your post is, is solid. I think your rationale here, your reasoning is solid. I think... I like where you're going with this, this exploration of this information, being very concise and pulling out specifically what happens in the games as canon. And that's what we can discuss. Very interesting. I'm thinking the rest of this month, we might actually dig further into the variations of the FEV virus and how that has played out in different species. So stay tuned for that in coming weeks. Thank you for being here, everybody. I really appreciate it. And stay safe out there in the wasteland. I'll see you next time. To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Reach out to me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast, starting a new podcast, or helping your current podcast grow. 
There's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well. And you can always talk with us and the entire community, over 2,000 people on the Robots Radio Discord. Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.